Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, one thing we've tried to do on this show is to identify overlaps between science and religion. On the last couple shows, we've talked to some leading thinkers on quantum theory. And today, though, we're going to pivot a little bit into a different type of field. We've talked about quantum fields. We're going to move to a, a new view of a field called a karmic field. But let me set the table a little bit. And because some people may know where I'm going with this, which is that we may be calling the same field different names. Now, one of the most established principles in science is that of a field. When we look at something called a field, it's typically thought of as an assignment of a physical quantity at each point of space and time. A simple example may be a weather forecast. The wind velocity during the day over a country is described by assigning a vector or an arrow to each point in space. Each vector represents direction and movement of air at that point. As the day progresses, the directions in which the vectors point change as the directions of the wind change. So a, so a field is sort of a way of, of valuing a force in three-dimensional space. Now when we move to quantum field theory, things change a little bit because the particles are being replaced by wave equations. But one of the main principles to get out of the quantum field theory concept is that we're really looking at fields of energy. And particles are no longer hard ball bearing or mass or, or, or little pieces of stuff. They are excitations in an energy field. The most popular field recently, or the, or the field that's made the popular press, is the Higgs field of which the Higgs boson or the God particle is associated. Now the Higgs field is, is, is a good example of a scientific field in the sense that it's sort of like a three-dimensional fluid through which energy waves travel. These energy waves or these packets of energy pick up mass as they move through the field. And I'm not making that up. That is, the, that is a simple explanation of the Higgs field. Now, but one thing that's curious about all these quantum fields is that, as we've learned on many shows, the, the, there is a debate that's still going on that began with Einstein and Bohr in the 1920s and the 1930s, which is where does consciousness fit in to the quantum world picture? There are many leading thinkers who believe that that consciousness is interconnected with the quantum world. So there's a connection between consciousness and the, and the energy field. There are some people, such as Amikaswamy and yours truly, who believe that consciousness is at the root of the energy field. So keep that in your mind. Now we're going to pivot to a different kind of field that comes out of the old Eastern 
concept of karma. What is karma? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And the title of today's show is going to be Healing the Karmic Field. And we're very lucky to have with us the author of an article by the same name, Emmanuel Kunzelman, who is the founder and president of the Center for Cultural Interchange in Chicago and the Foundation for the, F for the Future in Madrid, Spain. Both organizations support the worldwide Green Heart Movement and are dedicated in promoting cultural exchange, fair trade, environmental awareness, and world peace. He gives lectures and workshops and organizes retreats in conjunction with the, the Green Heart Transforms. Emmanuel, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Philip. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, now as, I, as I mentioned, uh, Emmanuel has published an article in the recent issue of Quest magazine, which is published by the Theosophical Society. And the, the article is Healing the Karmic Field, and it raises many interesting, intriguing issues about our modern mind, about morality, about this concept of karma that we have tend to, that it seems as if, Emmanuel, we have taken over this concept or borrowed it from, from the Eastern traditions. Is, is that how you see it? Do you see that, that, uh, that the Western mind has in some ways adopted karma? Well, certainly it has, but it's understandable that we would do so because it's uh, very logical thinking that uh, cause and effect relationship works throughout our lives, and we see it every day. So it's not really uh, an esoteric Eastern tradition as much as it is uh, good common sense, really. So there, there's no big mystery that uh, karma makes sense to a lot of Western thinking minds. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think that's one of the most important points to bring across here, is that we tend to... Uh, some of us with the with the Western mindset, we tend to like put to the side or put into another category these these Eastern concepts. Another one would be Nirvana or reincarnation or moksha. And but everybody has seems like they have heard of karma. Why don't why don't you maybe and I know you mentioned the cause and effect. Why don't you tell us how you got interested in karma and and what he, and and what relevance you think it has for us in, to, in, in the Western world? Okay. Well, I think one of the main questions we all ask ourselves is, what is the meaning of existence? Why are we here? What's going on? And as we investigate that question and we look around, we want to make sense of the world. You know, why do bad things happen to good people? And bad people seem to have a lot of good things happen to him and them and where is the justice in the world and what's going on out there so that's a really fundamental question i think in all of our minds and going beyond uh, some kind of redemption in the monotheistic traditions uh, the law of karma cause effect uh, resonates with us that it makes sense and it's actually quite prevalent uh, even in the monotheistic traditions, you know, uh, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. And uh, so it's, it's a very fundamental principle of uh, the, the words and actions that we put out there are going to have uh, an impact on us one way or another. 
And that is really what karma is. It's a Sanskrit word that means action. And basically the idea is every action we make in life is going to have a consequence. And we know that, in fact, to be true. Uh, karma just takes it a little further and puts it on a, a moral, ethical basis that uh, every not only action, but really thought and intention we produce will also have its consequences. And uh, it makes sense quite scientifically as well. Uh, you know, going back to the quantum field and, and wave energy, you know, we've now got the scientific instruments at our disposal to uh, study brain waves, and we know that the wave patterns of anger, for example, create a, an electromagnetic wave that are very chaotic, whereas if we come in in a state of meditation or harmony, uh, we create a nice, rhythmic, smooth wave. And those kinds of things can be measured, uh, put on a chart, and studied. And so it's no mystery that every thought, action we have is creating some kind of electromagnetic wave that has its consequences and its rhythm and cycles and will therefore combine or fail to combine with uh, other waves and reactions in the universe. So, yeah, you, yeah, you know, I I think that one of the the principles of modern science that it's hard to refute but hasn't permeated the modern mindset is this is is the principle from quantum theory that there is a unity to the world that that because and and I think the Tao of physics you know the original book that tried to link modern physics with um, Eastern thought that was a lot of what that book was based upon and when when you start talking about the the quantum wave and the whole point of it is that it's smeared out over space and and there is and there and there isn't an end point it's it it really it really i think dovetails very nicely with with the eastern concepts of oneness and i really think this principle of karma is a great perspective it's a great attitude because it's saying that in my mind it's saying that that your actions not only affect you not only is there perhaps some divine justice but that you but you're sort of affecting a pool i mean that that's one way i i i'm reading this it's like a it's like there's a steel pool that that needs to be in balance and that if you disrupt a pool you know you're 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 affecting the balance and, and so the idea is is to is to become in tune or 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 become in balance with this field am i am i uh am i putting that right or or do you look yeah at i think that's a, a great analogy i mean the the pool analogy I itself is uh very helpful because if uh we're sitting in a public swimming pool and we start splashing around, we make waves. Right. And if there are a lot of other people in there making waves, it gets very choppy and uh, splashes in our face or, or whatever. So, And the same thing happens uh, psycho-spiritually with our electromagnetic wave patterns from the brain. You know, yeah, yeah. just like splashing in a pool, every 
thought and feeling we have uh, sends out a wave, and it combines or conflicts with other waves and creates either in, interwoven wave patterns or conflicts. So, yeah, we're in this this pool of psycho-spiritual reality all swimming in it together, whether we like it or not. But it's a lot better to to recognize it and uh, not make waves other than, you know, gentle, proper ones. Yeah, yeah. Because well, it'll bounce off a wall and come back to us. You know, and I, and I, I think one of the most important principles here, and I, I gave a talk a week or two ago, and, 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 and the topic of morality came up. And a lot of people say, you know, well... Well, what what is the, the what is the basis of morality? What what is the scientific basis, or 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 are you just sort of being nice or being good uh, <clears throat> for the sake of of your individual integrity? And and you know, I I always think, and I and and I think you know, you're bringing up the New Testament statement about um, as ye so so shall ye reap is a really good analogy to Western religion in the sense that it's it's never been a off, you know, we're all in this separately. We're really all in this together. And I think that if, if we could raise this karma or this karmic feel to the status of a scientific principle, we'd be a lot better off. I mean, that's sort of, I mean, yeah, you know, we certainly would. And it is uh, scientific. I mean, you know, as I said before, everything we do produces um, a measurable uh, wave in the universe. Our conversation right here is going out on sound waves. And uh, a million years from now on a distant planet, if there's some other species out there with the right technology, they could probably pick it up and record it. So the same principle applies to every action we make. It creates a a wave. It's going out there into the field, and it has a presence and will always have a presence until it's neutralized or, you know, found its balance in the nature of the field. So, you know, it's it's very much uh, scientifically based, really. You can you can bring it right down to the uh, an, an analogy with gravity, for example. Right. You know, 400 years ago, nobody really knew that gravity existed, except that it worked right. until maybe an apple fell on Newton's head or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and suddenly he discovered gravity. But, you know, even now with, with quantum theory, we haven't yet found the graviton. Right. So we don't know what the, the particle is out there that makes gravity work. We just know it works. Yeah. And likewise with the karmic field, it's this same kind of field force uh, on a moral, psycho-spiritual basis that works between uh, human beings. And we haven't yet found the the karmic particle or the karman, but uh, I'm sure it exists out yeah. there and has the same effect. Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, maybe we maybe we should be looking for for you know the the karman uh, boson, but 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 I th- but I have a funny feeling we're not going to find it in a particle accelerator. The, the uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but but one thing that really really strikes me is and and this is something I use. This is a quote I use a lot. Uh, in my own work, which is that there is a statement, I think it's George Gaylord Simpson, who was a, 
uh, neo-Darwinian biologist yeah. who right. um, who came who basically said that modern science treats the world as if with a quotes around it, as if it's material in order to conduct scientific experiments and so and that's sort of the way we tend to approach the world we you know we approach it as if it's material and when you use the word material it implies that it's separate from us and i i like the concept of approaching the world as if there is a karmic field as if there is a oneness take that mindset instead of the material world mindset and, and because because you're conducting experiments one way or the other this is my point you're conducting a personal ex experiment a social experiment a cultural experiment when you treat the world as if there is a karmic field and so those who doubt those out there who say well this is crazy I, I'm saying well the whole point of science is to test these theories and I say well if you don't believe it then test it and and, and I and, and so I think that you know we are being tested every day against karma against the field we're not testing it it's testing us and, and, and that's something yeah well it certainly does and we see it pretty much every minute of every day yeah. I mean you you can just walk into a room and just by the energy you emanate with a group of people you're gonna change their reactions you don't have to say a single word but if you come in full of love and joy everybody's immediately gonna read your body language if you will but it's the psycho spiritual energy it's yeah. it's the electromagnetic field of your heart and your brain wave patterns and all that kind of stuff is suddenly fill, filling the room and likewise your karmic field is more uh, more subtle level but the same thing is happening every moment of every day so we're all swimming in this pool together and everything we think and every intention we have has an effect and we know it you know we, we feel that all the time so to think that we're separate from or not part of that pool we're all swimming in together is is really uh, very wrong on an elementary level because it, it's quite obvious the effects we have on others and how that will change the probabilities of what's going to influence and affect us in the future. Yeah, and, and, and there's nothing more important than trying to make your own world and your own life better in going in the future. I mean, there's nothing, that's, that's sort of what everyone's trying to do in one way or the other. They're trying to make a better life for themselves and their families. And, and, and if that's really the goal, then focusing on karma sounds like the first thing you should do when you get up in the morning because because if there is this payback this this um sort of uh reflection from the pool or from karma then you want to have the best attitude you want to you want to uh, be kind you want to follow the 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 kantian moral imperative and the golden rule i mean basically be a good person and and there's nothing sort of different, as far as I can see, in 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 the importance of morality here. But I think what you're saying, which I agree with, is that this is this is the web of life, as you point out in your article. This this is the way of the world, 
Uh, well, uh, absolutely. It really is. And, it, you know, it's not alien to, to Western thought at all, the, the Kantian moral imperative that you point out. Behave as if each act you're engaging in is going to become a universal law. So if we think about that, and we think each act, each thought or deed I perform every minute of every day is going to create my karma, my field, the universal law of who I am, when we start going through life with that perspective, it really does make us think twice about everything we do, yeah. you know, and it's just this constant reminder there, and I really think elevates the whole level of our consciousness the minute we embrace that and say, yes, I'm participating in this field. Above all, I am self-responsible for the quality and state of my own field and therefore how it interacts with everyone else. And suddenly you get this rush of understanding of moral justice and meaning and purpose and self-responsibility for uh, in creating and improving your own life. And it uh, is a very fulfilling moment embracing that concept. Yeah. Now, has there been, is there something in, in, your, in your background or, or life experiences that led you to, to value karma? How, how did you wind up at the spot you're in right now with, with emphasizing the karmic field? Well, as I, I've indicated so far, it made a, a lot of common sense to me. And from a very early age, I was looking for the meaning of life. But I might also say a few words about another strange Eastern concept here, uh, reincarnation. Because, uh, you know, we another basic question we all want to ask ourselves and hopefully answer is, well, what happens to me when I die? And I remember thinking about that very early on. And the very first time I heard the, the idea of reincarnation, I thought, well, now that's a very interesting idea. Wouldn't that be awesome if yeah. that were true? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that all of this flows and has meaning, and we come back and we build on what we're doing, yeah. and then it's not just a one-shot deal. And uh, I began to think about that and embrace that idea and then work with it throughout my life and uh, it just became more meaningful all of all the time and once you begin to entertain the idea of reincarnation well then karma becomes that much more meaningful because now we're not just talking about a single life and the events uh, events of this life but we've have a, a whole trajectory here of many lives, perhaps thousands of years, and there's just uh, this much, much richer perspective to, to everything. So yeah, yeah, I, think, I, think that, I think that in the, the origin of karma, and I, I think, I guess it's a Hindu concept, um, it, it's, it, it, was, it is conjoined with reincarnation. It, 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 was, it, it is uh, a, how can I put this, a timeless a principle it just doesn't operate statically and it is mm -hmm. carried it is right. carried forward um but i and i and i also think that reincarnation is one of the most fascinating uh topics uh that there is whether in eastern or western thought and and i you know my my question with reincarnation is always is always the 
the extent to which there is a one-to-one -one correlation between different lives. You know, and the Dalai Lama is a good example. Um, mm -hmm. Where, okay, the 13th Dalai Lama is the 14th Dalai Lama, which is the present Dalai Lama, I believe. Is he the one-to-one -one correlation uh, of the 13th Dalai Lama? I mean, that's, I mean, how, how do you view reincarnation? Is it, is it physical, spiritual, something in between? Do you, have, you, have you come to terms with, with what that concept means? Well, I'm working on it, <laughs> and I think that's one of the, the big challenges uh, of life and understanding it. Yeah. I guess I would say I think there are some one-to-one -one correlations, um, and I think the Dalai Lama is probably a good example of that, and there are many of them, but that's not to say that it always works so simply and quite in that way. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, the the soul that's working with this uh, reincarnation mechanism here is, a, you know, it's not as steadfast and easily identifiable as we often think it is. It's it's really kind of the vortex of the energy field we've created with our karmic actions in life. And if that vortex doesn't have enough energy to carry itself on, it may not reincarnate at all. Yeah. I mean, if it's been so diluted or polluted uh, by bad karmic acts, it probably doesn't have enough energy to reincarnate at all. Yeah. Or on the other hand, if it's a very high intensity, uh, it could even split. I think uh, sometimes there are reincarnations in two or three different ways that I think they can be shared as well. So, uh, you know, I think the, the simple, easy kind of concept of one life leads to another after another is not necessarily true. I think it often works that way, but I think it's uh, a bit more complicated that in, that in reality and how it actually functions. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, you know, we, we, we tend to look at things simplistically in, in many ways, maybe for the fun of it or maybe because we don't have time to get into the details. But there's a lot of, I'm sure, jokes and, and TV shows that talk about, you know, being reincarnated as a, as a, as a rat or as a porcupine or, or come back, you know, as a villain or something. And that's sort of what I would call the, the uh, you know, the uh, superficial or the uh, sensationalistic uh, view Very of, much so, yeah. of, of, of reincarnation. But just to emphasize that we're not really talking about something that far out. I'm, I, I want to I emphasize here that there are many scientists, physicists, who believe that consciousness is at the root of existence. And those would include some of the founders of quantum theory, um, such as Schrodinger and Sir James Jeans, and probably Niels Bohr. Well, if consciousness is at the root, then the consciousness that I have in mind is the same consciousness that is reincarnating itself. <laughs> it's, I don't think there's any, to me, there's nothing different. It's the same thing. And so, and because when you, when you move from a materialistic to a mind-based or consciousness-based perspective on things, you have to sort of talk in the language 
of consciousness. And, and that's why, uh, you know, the article I had written on the evolving uh, spirit of God, that's my mindset. I'm looking at consciousness evolving with time, which is exact, which to me is, is consistent with reincarnation, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, well, you know, Sir James Jeans once said that really the universe, rather than a machine, is beginning to look like one big thought. Right. And that was his interpretation of, of early quantum theory, yeah. you know, and uh, all these Schrodinger and uh, Amit Gaswami and many others that you mention are, are all saying the, the same thing. So... Uh, I think that it has to be that way. You know, consciousness had to be the primordial field out of which all this came. I don't think it could be the other way around that some kind of materialistic explosion and random interaction of uh, physical particles somehow accidentally ended up in the sense that you and I are having this conversation here today. Right. I mean, talk about science. How can you get consciousness out of materiality? It just yeah. doesn't, it doesn't factor in there. Yeah. It has to be the other way around. Consciousness decided to create material reality in order to go through this evolutionary process uh, and these field phenomena to make it work together so that we've come back full circle to this point where we're sitting here together saying, yes, it is a field of consciousness and it is evolving and we're participating and co-creating this. And one of the primary ways we are doing so is by being aware of and conscious of the reality of our karmic field and how important that is to our psycho-spiritual life. So yeah, it's yeah, all come full circle, really. Right, right. It's, it's sort of like, and, and, and the purpose for this show is really to sort of observe this gradual shift that we're seeing out there. It's subtle, <laughs> but this gradual shift from a materialistic, reductionistic, it's all out there mindset to a mind first consciousness first mindset because we are we are really sort of schizophrenic right now where we have this this combined mindset and and the the more and more folks who are looking at the quantum theory the interpretations are coming out more and more such as with the quantum enigma book by Bruce Rosenblum and Fred Kuttner and of course Amikaswamy's book uh, and many others who are looking at at consciousness as being primary, and many of them are saying the same thing. And, you know, and Henry Stapp's another example who I, who I interviewed last week. Many of these guys are saying the same thing. They're saying all we're doing is going back to the thinking of the founders of quantum theory. <laughs> it's not as if it's not as if they're they're that they're they're being radical. Uh, Henry Stapp himself is pretty conservative. Uh, and, 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 you know, he worked with Werner Heisenberg and Wolfgang Pauli, and he believes consciousness is at the root of reality. And, but, and so it's sort of, to me, it's like a needle that's slowly going to the right. We're slowly seeing mind sort of taking over the territory, but it's a gradual move. That's sort of my, my best spin on it. Um, yeah. Well, it is a gradual move. 
Um, but as you point out here, some of the greatest thinkers uh, of the 20th century have already come to that conclusion from a scientific basis. Right. And, uh, you know, and Henry Stapp, he, he mentioned that this is probably the, the most significant discovery of the, the 20th century uh, in, in a paper he wrote for, I think it was the, the U.S. Energy Commission or yeah. something, you know, so... Uh, they, they've certainly, you know, come to terms with that, uh, at least many uh, quantum physicists have, you know, that uh, consciousness has to be involved with the, the creation of reality right down to the uncertainty principle. And, you know, if you want a wave and you think you're going to measure the velocity of a wave, that's what you get. And if you're looking for a particle with mm -hmm. position and mass, uh, that's what you get. And it all depends on what the physicist uh, first puts in his mind to to measure and I know a lot of uh, there are many many interpretations of that and many physicists go to great pains to to try and extract consciousness from that going to such extremes as the many worlds interpretation yeah. of every time we think we break right. our thought processes up into a double split new yeah. reality but yeah. that that seems far more far-fetched to me than it all came from one field of primordial consciousness which seems to be a very beautiful logical and uh, refreshing idea of so the the point here is that this, these, these two big principles we're talking about right now, karma and reincarnation, yes, they, they're Eastern-oriented, but they are consistent with the findings of modern science, and that's what makes this exciting. We're not talking, and it's always bothered me that you, you sort of go into, say, a science class or a science building and you practice the hard, rigorous, methodical investigation of reality. And then, and then you go into a different building, whether it's a church, a, a quiet room, or a study, and that's where you're spiritual or mystical. That's where you meditate. Like there's two separate compartments of our brains or something. And, and what I'm trying to say, and I think um, you're saying, is that the rooms are coming together. You could be scientific. And you, and, and you could believe in karma because they're consistent with each other. And, and that's, that's, that's the exciting part of this. We're, we're not talking about a fringe mystical concept here. We're talking about something that is consistent with science, and it happens to be consistent with the entire religious tradition or the, or the entire tradition of the great world's religions. Uh, yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's a beautiful... It really does, you know, and that is the the beautiful thing uh, of, of this, that we're at this point now with the very sophisticated level of understanding and measurement. You know, science is all about measuring. Right. And the material sciences, they don't believe it exists unless they can measure it. And that's kind of why I started off ten tonight insisting that all this stuff can be measured now. Yes. <laughs> you know, it can be recorded. Yeah. So it's not just... Uh, mystical uh, emanations, uh, you know, if you, you want to be a scientist and want to materially measure it, why, uh, that can now be done. And taking that and our understanding of, you know, quantum theory at a very fundamental level and putting those two things together, why it does give us a very 
firm basis for establishing uh, that all of this arose out of the field of consciousness. So yes. it's it's extremely exciting. You know, this is this is the most important development in the history of humanity, and uh, we're we're experiencing this right now and, and sharing it together. And I really think the potential of it bringing everyone together with a more unified philosophical understanding of what the meaning of life is all about, you know, fusing science and spirituality here into a very uh, sincere discussion of how they meet and what that means for us is is definitely the the most uh, exciting thing that's ever happened. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I completely agree, as you probably know, because I think that humankind needs something to agree upon. I mean, if we had—that's for sure. If we had, yeah. if we had one thing to agree upon, I mean, for example, I, I think most people, whether they were Muslims, uh, Russians, or Lithuanians, whatever, would agree with the law of gravity. Most people are going to say, "Okay, I, I'll I'll give in on that one." Mm -hmm. and, and if we make if we make whether it's the law of karma, or whether it's this this consciousness is at the root, whatever we call it. If we could agree on on this this fundamental principle that happens to be uh, surpassing all other principles, now now we're talking about having a common ground that that will, to me, improve the world. And, and, well, we and, certainly are, and I'm glad you uh, brought that up because that's kind of why I initiated the discussion a little bit with with the mention of gravity because we're we all know it's there and it's what right. keeps. Uh, you know, our planet orbiting through the solar system as it does and holds everything in place. And it's it's a good association to how the moral universe works in the exact same way. Right. And every thought, deed, intention we have is creating this field that forms our relationship with everyone in, in our lives. And we know it's there. Uh, you know, maybe we haven't called it the karmic field in our various traditions, but we all recognize it, and we all know that the simple law of cause and effect does, in fact, work. And I think we're all yearning to have an explanation for moral justice in our lives. So it's really an all-encompassing answer there that I think we can and should agree, up, agree upon. Yeah, and I, I think that it's it's definitely something that yeah, everybody should experiment with this one. That This, this, this is one way to put it. I, I go back, I mean, you, you're emphasizing a measurement, which, is, which I agree that that seems to be something that's a bugaboo for the scientists, but the, but the other part of it is experimenting. And, and that's why I think a lot of these uh, spiritual experiences and, and, and moral lessons, you, you know, you know it through personal experience. As you say, I mean, what, what, what we call somebody who's got a positive attitude, glowing, walking into a room, we tend to say that's, that he's charismatic. He or she is charismatic. You know, and and it's sort of it's an but we all know that's true. Well, if you if you just reframe it, he's he or she has good karma. It's the same thing. We know that the, that that certain people have more power just be, just by the way they act. Now, I want I want to talk a little bit about um, one of the points you raise in your article, which which is is uh, I think a new spin on this. 
which is a lot of people say, well, I've got bad karma or or I or I I've uh, I've been I haven't acted right and and I'm I'm going to get paid back or they have a guilt complex is another way to put it. And you talk a little bit about about addressing that and you call it healing the karmic field. Can you talk a little bit about how how somebody could sort of undo uh, the negative or 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 put that on a different plane? Yeah, I'd be glad to address that because uh, that really was the m most important point I was trying to make in the article is that uh, karma is not hard and, and fixed the way we often think of it. Uh, it's very malleable, and it's, it's up to us to deal with our own karma. And we can look at this two different ways. There's collective karma and individual karma. Uh, collective karma, you know, we all belong to all kinds of subgroups. Our, our race, our gender, our nationality, our ethnic background, all of that, we're part of those groups, and we're born into them. And we're socialized and, you know, educated by our culture to identify with those groups. So whatever our background, whether we're Muslim, Jewish, Catholic or anything else, uh, we begin to associate ourselves with the karma of those groups. Now, I'm saying that is purely arbitrary, because if we have a, a perspective of reincarnation, uh, the fact that, let's say, we're born Jewish in this lifetime, and maybe we feel some antagonism towards Muslims, or vice versa, uh, may well be because in a previous life we were of the other religious background. Mm -hmm. And now our karma is simply trying to balance things out for us. And if it, just by taking that one possibility and looking at it, all of a sudden extricates us from this karmic group that we thought we were such a, an important part of, and we suddenly say, oh, does it really make any difference? Do I have a grievance against this other group? Maybe I was part of them in a previous life or will be in the next one. So that immediately wipes out this immense collective karma, which, you know, if we could get people to do that the world yeah. over, we'd probably make a quantum leap towards world peace. Yeah. You know, yeah. All our nationalities and our political parties and all these diverse groups thinking that they might have some grievances in the karmic field held against them from some other group, it's really false identification with non-existent concepts, if, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. So that's, that's a very big one. And then on an individual level, uh, we can do a whole lot about the state of our karma. You know, Just because we've done some kind of misdeed in the past, doesn't mean that we're going to receive the exact uh, retribution for that sometime in the future. You know, if we're uh, remorseful about it, we recognize it, we take amends to apologize to people if we can for misdeeds in the past, or just to spread peace and love and you know, gratitude to the universe, those kinds of emanations do improve the quality of the field and 
improve the quality of ourselves. So we can take an active interest in improving our individual karma as well by just recognizing this and working with it. And I, I really feel that is the most important driving force we can incorporate into our personal evolution is this recognition of how we can work with our karma and actually drive it in a direction towards a, a much more balanced and positive way. You know, a lot of people immediately associate karma with some kind of negative term. Yeah. It's my karma. It's like something came back to get me. But karma can be very positive, too, and should be. And actually, we we have a lot more probabilities of cleansing the negative aspects uh, than than receiving them. So we we really need to have that uh, long-term psychological and mental orientation towards this karmic field that it's a, not only can we do something about it, but it's our responsibility to do something about it. Yeah, I I like the. Um there's there's a passage in your in your article where you're talking. I think you're um, you're quoting another uh, author, but it was something like, instead of worrying about the 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 bad acts that you've done in the past and feeling all guilty, just sort of switch your mindset. And 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 the way you put it here is you go I'm emanating peace and love and it's just sort of like it's like separate yourself from what you thought was your karma and 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 try creating the effect first, which I thought yeah, was well, really positive. Yeah, bringing that up because it, it really is you, you know she uh, in discussing that passage uh, she says. Well, what came first? You know, the old question, the chicken or the egg? And we're, we're so into the concept of this linear effect yeah. of karma, right. cause and effect. Right. Well, I did something, now I'm going to receive the effect. But we, we can turn it around and say, I'm affecting a cause in the future. And so we create our own effect just by instantaneously taking our mindset and say, I'm full of joy or peace and love. Right. And tossing that out in the universe, we've made an effect. And that is going to cause different effects to happen in the world. So we have to see ourselves as the initiator rather than the recipient of this, what we often look at as a linear chain uh, reaction of things, but you know the the field is holistic and dynamic. It is this web. It's working in all directions, even into the future, all at once. So it's not as simple as this caused this effect. Right. It's more about co-creating the nature of the field from this point forward. Yeah, and it's very similar. You know, it's interesting as you were as you were talking. Uh, there's there's been two other guests on this show that have had uh, similar thoughts, but from a different perspective. One of them was James Mapes, um, who wrote who who wrote a book on quantum leap thinking, and then Diane Collins, who has a book called uh, Do You Quantum Think, and they use the quantum leap from quantum theory to sort of say something similar which is which is sort of you you take this jump 
from one mental state, from one attitude to a completely different one. And and again, I, I raise it to, to really to, to show or to, or to suggest that there's a commonality here between some of these sort of more mystical or spiritual concepts and the scientific concepts. And in many ways, we wind up saying the same thing in different words. Um, I, 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 really, I really think that that is, you know, it's, it's something important to keep in mind because, frankly, we, we need to be understood and we need to be accepted when we say these things. And, and I think the more, the, the more we could bring it down to earth, the better. Uh, yeah, we, we certainly do. And, you know, just taking the, that idea of the quantum leap, uh, it fits very well into this model. You know, the quantum leap, most easily explained, is uh, an electron orbit changing orbits. And suddenly the, the electron, you know, moving around the atom will suddenly be out in a, in a, a higher orbit. But it didn't pass through time and space to get there. It's an instantaneous jump from one quantum state to the other. And the same thing happens with us in our thought processes. If we're sitting here and we're saying, oh boy, I'm really down today, my energy is low and we're contracting, uh, or we can say, you know what, I'm going to give myself this intentional push of positive energy and just forget all that stuff. I'm starting over right now. I feel good. I'm great, and I'm going to go for it. And right. you do this, and all of a sudden, boom, you're there. You're in a different quantum state. Yes. You've self-energized yourself, and the orbit of your electron or your karmic field has made this quantum leap. So it is a measurable scientific phenomena, but just on a, a level of uh, psycho-spiritual well-being. But that's what we're doing. We're inputting this psychic energy into ourself, but it really has a physical manifestation in how we feel, how we're perceived, the probabilities of the future. It all calculates back into a very clear uh, effect that we've created for ourselves through a quantum leap that we've self-generated. Yeah, and, and I think that your your point earlier about, about um, Muslims and Muslims and Jews and former lives, it's to me it goes hand in hand with finding a deeper, what I call a unity principle, uh, that people can agree upon. That is a law of the universe. I mean, if we are a consciousness flowing through time, evolving through time, then we are acting out the roles of that consciousness, and and our lives today we shouldn't be limited by 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 culture, nationality, or even religious constraints right now. We, we should always know deep in our hearts that at our roots there is something greater bringing us together. And, and, and we could call it the karmic field, which I think is a great way to put it. We could call it the unity consciousness, the, you know, the one mind, God. We could call it all sorts of things. But, but to me, that is really the, the key uh, to to peace and and without without getting i mean we all strive for that a lot of us don't talk about it i i see here that you know uh, and i want you to talk about your organization a little bit about how that's really the ultimate goal here and maybe it's it's completely aspirational maybe it's a little pie in the sky but on the other hand unless we have 
some dedicated people pointed in that direction, pointing to, well, how can we get ourselves uh, on, a, on a better path here, on a, on, a, on a path of unity, then it's never going to happen. So, Emmanuel, in, in sort of bringing this to a close, can you just talk a little bit about the Center for Cultural Interchange and what it does? Yeah, I'd be glad to talk about that. Um, Center for Cultural Interchange is really part of a worldwide movement uh, that we call Greenheart. And uh, Greenheart uh, has many manifestations, but one of them being uh, Greenheart CCI, or the Center for Cultural Interchange, which that component in itself is uh, more of a standard cultural exchange organization. We uh, organize um, uh, high school exchanges, and, and um, we ha- have visa designation for temporary uh, summer work visitors in the United States. So really, we uh, move people around the planet. We have about 10,000 uh, participants annually from some 80 different countries, and we create cultural exchanges of various sorts. And the reason I, I got into this way back when is because, uh, like you, I, I'm sort of a high-thinking philosopher, but I wanted to really make a difference in life. I wanted to have people experimenting with it out there, as you said, and having this experiential difference. And I saw that moving people from one country to another and placing them into a new unknown environment where they have to live in a different culture, speak a different language, and adapt to different customs, they have no choice but to transform and broaden their karmic field because they have to come to an understanding with all these new concepts. So uh, cultural exchange is something that uh, I saw very early on that it worked and that it was really a, a great white livelihood for me and the people I work with to have as our sort of core driving uh, business uh, behind all this. But along with the the cultural exchange component, we've diversified into many other aspects of uh, Greenheart. We have a Greenheart shop, uh, fair trade shop. Here in Chicago, we have an e-commerce online division of it. We also have our own wholesaling uh, fair trade line called Sobre Mesa. Uh, We have Greenheart Travel, which is uh, for Americans uh, traveling abroad, particularly for work opportunities, volunteer, environmentalism. All of this as much as possible we try to uh, pull into our mission, which you stated in in the beginning. Um, We have... uh, we even have our own music company, Greenheart Music, based in, in Spain. We have an environmental center on the island of Ibiza in Spain, which is uh, a great ongoing <laughs> experiential <laughs> example of, of what we're, we're trying to accomplish. And then for me personally, uh, one of the latest additions is uh, Greenheart Transforms, which is the the component of our organization that works for personal and social transformation. And that is the part that I'm most actively involved in these days to organize events, workshops, and retreats to help people open minds, as as you said. We're really in the the business of trying to open minds as as wide as possible so they can have the, 
the largest perspective on the karmic field as <laughs> they can. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, I, I I completely I mean identify so much with 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 what you're doing. And and one and one last thing, there's a conference coming up on November 18th. It, it is in Chicago, and I believe it's called Envisioning the World Transformed. Yeah, that's right. Envisioning a World Transformed. And uh, that will be on November 18th, Sunday, November 18th, at the Peggy Notebard Nature Museum, which is in Lincoln Park in Chicago, an all-day event. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons this event came out is because a lot of people kept coming up to me and saying, you know, I've read your your blogs, your website, uh, been to your lectures. You're such an optimist, you know. Mm-hmm. How can you be so optimistic when it looks like, in many ways, the world's on the edge of a cliff, yeah, here, yeah. <laughs> ready to fall into an abyss? Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to show it to you. Yeah. So what we're going to have in Envisioning a World Transformed is some of uh, Chicago's uh, key change makers uh, telling us about their example, how through their hard work and their their own will, they've made a difference, and it didn't always take uh, uh, a budget or a lot of help. It was just this conviction of consciousness that the world can be a better place, and there are examples everywhere. You know, there's just yeah. this growing tide of transformative shift that we're part of right now, and uh, I just wanted to put it out there for for the public to share in so that they can be invigorated and energized to to follow these examples and, and do the same thing. So yeah. that's what uh, Envisioning the World is Transformed is all about on November 18th. Yeah, well, thank you very much, and I'm going to have the pleasure of being there, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'd like to add that more information about Envisioning a World Transformed is available at Emmanuel's website, www.greenheartstransforms.org. The, the, yeah, um, well, we're very pleased to have your participation in the event, Philip, and I think you can uh, really be one of these prime examples of uh, you know the philosophical aspect uh, of this mind-opening. So uh, thank you very much for your participation in the event. Looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and I'd like to thank you for your time, Emmanuel. It's always, it's always a a pleasure talking to you. We have a we have a lot. We always have a lot to talk about. I I just want to conclude briefly by by emphasizing again something I said earlier, which is that modern science uh, approaches the world as if it is purely material. Uh, we we might all try to experiment a little bit and approach the world as if the karmic field is real, because the odds are that science is going to prove the truth of the karmic field or something very much like it and we and we could all improve our own lives and the future of our little world here by paying respect and honoring uh, this karmic field this is philip Mirton. this is conversations beyond science and religion thank you for listening You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.